Welcome back to the Ride Boundless Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ride Clean. Just to give you a little bit of history about Ride Clean, I launched Ride Clean in 2017. Ever since then, I've been going to um, as many shows, IMS, SEMA, uh, AIM Expo, so much more. Every show that I've gone to, I've practically sold out. And if not sold out, I've gotten pretty close. Done a couple Harley shops. Glendale Harley was the first one that I started pushing it. Uh, you can find it in uh, Orange County, Harley-Davidson. And I was trying to get into more dealers, but online's the way to go. And it's the official sponsor of the podcast and kind of funds the podcast. So it helps out a lot. Every part of Ride Clean is made in America. Um, it's an American brand. It was designed and developed by me and a chemist. Um, I went through 26 different triggers to make sure I would offer you the best trigger that gives the most equal, nice spray. It's an amazing product. Check them out at rideclean.co. Use promo code RBPODCAST for 20% off plus free shipping. That's rideclean.co. Very exciting episode. This episode all started off with Matt Laidlaw from Laidlaw Harley-Davidson. When he posted up, I think it was in November, a, um Adventure Weekend training course. I messaged him and I said, what's this? He says, uh, Rawhide Adventures. Check them out. And I did. They uh, teach people how to ride adventure bikes, uh, maneuver, manipulate, control, brake, accelerate, uh, uphill, downhill. You know, it's, I'm taking the class on the 29th. So I'm very excited about that. But uh, I reached out to uh, Rawhide and I wanted to speak to the founder. And they put me in touch with Jim Hyde, which is founder of Rawhide Adventures. And uh, very nice. I got a meeting within a few days, and this is what this episode's about. It's about how they got started, what you can expect from them, uh, especially if you're considering taking a class. And um, it was a lot of fun. So I will not delay it anymore. Let's get started now. Jim, thank you for having me. How are you? Well, it's, I'm great. It's awesome to uh, to do this with you. Thanks yeah. so much for uh, the initiative to come up here. Yeah. How, how would you, uh, to the listeners, how would you describe um, who you are, where we can find you, and what you do? Mm, well, uh, my name is Jim Hyde. I'm the owner of Rawhide Adventures, and uh, we're a company that's 100% focused in the adventure, touring, motorcycle space. Nice. Um, like, what kind of bikes are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the, the BMW GS line. We're talking about uh, the KTM Super Adventure, the 1290. Uh, we're talking about Triumph, the Triumph Tiger, the, uh, gosh, what does uh, Ducati call theirs? The Multistrada. You know, the, uh, the over 600cc uh, world travel capable kind of bike. That sounds uh, exciting. And, and where are you located? Where is this found? Um, we're, we've got three locations, uh, two in California, one in Colorado, but basically our headquarters is Los Angeles. Is Los Angeles. Yeah. We're in Castaic right now. Right. Just it, the suburbs, the sleepy suburbs north of LA. I, I love the, um, the Google directions going on the five and just getting off on this weird side road and going under the tunnel. I thought oh, it was a that joke. How they brought you oh, in that's here. how the oh, map brought me. That's the Caltrans maintenance, uh, off ramp. It's unmarked. 
It's unmarked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, and I passed it, but I slowed down. I was able to go on the second half of it. Okay. So I turned around and got it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, don't don't tell anyone. <laughs> That's pretty funny. How, how long have you been in business? We have been in business nearly 20 years. Um, Congratulations. We started in, yeah, thank you. We started in 2001. Um, then we got a, a, a serious road bump with the uh, whole World Trade Center fiasco. That changed the landscape. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Almost, almost 20 years. Where, where did the um, where did the idea of starting this like what was your background before like you know people look you up on the website they see who you are what you offer but right. where did it initiate from was this a passion that you grew up with or no not at all um, a really random business decision that was so totally different from what my career had been up to the point I decided to just shift gears. Most of my life, uh, professional sales of capital equipment. Um, when people ask me what my the main part of my career was, uh, medical equipment sales for General Electric. Interesting. Uh, I sold MRI scanners, CT scanners, high-end, really high-end, multi-million dollar medical equipment for GE to doctors and hospitals across the U.S. And uh, That was a booming business. Still was, is in some sense. Oh, it is. It's it's still a huge business. But uh, did you have any problems? Sorry, it's a random question. No, but yeah. did you have any? Uh, <clears throat> was there like? Well, I guess it's more pharmaceutical. But did, did, was there an ethical, you know, problem uh, doing what you were doing? No, not at all. Because I mean, pharmaceutical is a little bit more, you know, I don't want to say evil, but but yeah. but you weren't doing pharmaceutical. You were no, doing we equipment. weren't. We, we weren't. You know, when you, you were get, saving lives. Uh, well, in a certain sense, that sort of certainly makes it sound noble. Right. Um, but I'll tell you, one of the most fascinating parts of, of what I did was we eliminated a really, well, barbarian practice uh, that had occurred, you know, really from the point in time where surgery itself was a viable thing to do. Um, there used to be a thing called exploratory surgery. And, uh, you know, a patient would come into a doctor's office and he'd say, yeah, I got this lump in my stomach. I, you know, I don't feel too bad, but I feel this thing. And the doctor would say, well, let's schedule you for exploratory surgery so we can check it out. Jeez. And, you know, they would open you up and rummage around. And if it's cancer, they would zip you back up and tell you you had six months to live, maybe. But, After him. And then you but, had to recover from that surgery. Yeah, the surgery itself was so devastating that it shortened a lot of people's lives. And the things I'm that. I'm going to pick up your mic. Yep, no problem. And we're good. Anyway, the, uh, the recovery from surgeries like that is really difficult. And so the advent of CT and MRI completely eliminated the need for exploratory surgery because we can just look inside the human body and see what's going on. So, from that point of view, it's awesome. Yeah. And it does save lives in that regard. But, uh, you know, that's not about motorcycles. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. It's, it's a little, sorry. That was a little random. And I'm going to make one more point. What's interesting is people talk about technology, motorcycle technology. People talk about cell phones, TVs, blah, blah, blah. But the medical field and technology is amazing. I mean, it's one of the greatest times to be alive. Absolutely. Because if you get sick, they can, they can fix you up. But anyways, enough medical. You know, one last comment on that. I, I had an epiphany in that industry that mankind's finest achievements are tied together inexplicably because the, the technology that we have to save lives is incredible. Right. And, the, in, and the technology we have to take them away is equally incredible. Between yeah. the war machine and the patch-you-up machine, that's where all of our technology is. So yeah. anyway, 
Yeah. Back to better topics. <laughs> so you were doing this your whole life. What 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 changed? What what moved um, you? You know, it's one of those things. Um, were you riding motorcycles at least? No, back then? no, no, no. You're... So that's actually the interesting part of the story. Perhaps um, both my mother and father proclaimed motorcycles to be the invention of the devil. Mm. So I was prohibited from having one as a kid. Right. And, uh, you know, like most rebellious kids, I figured a way around that. Uh, I bought a little Yamaha 125 and kept it at a friend's garage and never got banged up enough to <clears throat> have to admit that I was <laughs> riding right. a bike when I got hurt. Um, but then I went off to college and really didn't ride a motorcycle for most of the early part of my career. And I was mid-40s on a wine-tasting vacation in Italy. When I had the what part of Italy? Uh, well, the uh, the northeastern corner in the Dolomite Mountains. Oh, towards like um, Milan and a little uh, bit higher. Yeah, higher and uh, higher and to the right. We were right on the border oh, right. with Slovenia. Oh, got and, it. And uh, the Dolomites really are the mountain range that separates Slovenia from uh, from northern Italy. It's a spectacular place. I am to tell you, it is amazing. And uh, I was in the back seat of a Peugeot minivan looking out on this cobblestone road that twisted and wound up over this just gorgeous mountain pass and uh, said to myself, man, this would be cool on a motorcycle. And uh, that was the beginning of it right there. You just, the Germans call it an earworm. Something right. flies in and then it starts rattling around inside your head. I couldn't shake the idea. And I came home from that trip. Uh, I called my travel agent back when we actually had travel agents. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, right. You mean went on a website? And I'm... Yeah, exactly. And I just said, I want find me some motorcycle company that I could either rent a bike or take a trip. I want to ride a motorcycle through the Dolomites. So she hooked me up with a company called Beaches Motorcycle Adventures, and I signed up for one of their tours, and I just had the time of my life. And uh, about halfway through the trip, I have to admit I was getting a little envious of the owner of that company. His name's Rob Beach, and uh, just seemed like that Rob had the perfect life. Got to ride motorcycles around, cool places, hanging out with cool people, staying in nice hotels, eating good meals all the time. And here I was, a, a drone inside of GE. Yeah. And uh, I was like, damn, I'd, I, that guy's lucky. He's got a cool job. And uh, that, started, that started me thinking. And... Uh, Towards the end of that trip, I started kind of penciling the numbers out, trying to figure out whether there was money to be made in the motorcycle industry. And ultimately, in the long run, I sat there thinking, you know, the problem with the motorcycle business as in a tour operation is you have to spend a lot of money on restaurant meals, you know, staying at hotels that eats away a lot of your margin. And it I cost. thought... I could develop a business model where we controlled all aspects of the customer experience might be more profitable. And, um, so that's really the, that was the thought that started Rawhide. Um, what we are, you ask, you know, earlier, what do we do? We do have a training program that we run for, for BMW, but we also are a lifestyle company, meaning we introduce people to this sport, if you want to call it a sport, but, we also do so many various things that we call ourselves a lifestyle company, but everything we do, we typically provide all the meals, the accommodations, everything else, whether it's the tours or, uh, or here at our training camps. So that's a beautiful model. Um, what, what kind of just being nosy, 
but and since I'm doing the class next month, mm-hmm. what kind of meals can we expect? The meals are one of our little. Well, okay. Let me back. Let me back up just a touch and say yeah. that when folks come to Rawhide, uh, my opening comments are, you know, in a world where it seems we have to endure ever increasing mediocrity, especially in service businesses, um, we want uh, the you know we we want to be perceived as a bright spot in uh, in your expend- expenditure world, and we do that by surprising people. And the food service is one of those things. We don't, one of those nice. We don't talk about our food service on our website. You don't promote it. You we don't, don't promote it. We don't talk about how awesome it is. It's not a selling point. It's not a selling point at all but, on our website. But people will be surprised. Yeah. And so you'll see it on Instagram and Facebook. We put pictures of the meals up. But every one of the folks who prepares our meals are, are qualified chefs. They're not just somebody that knows how to cook that we hired from Denny's or Coco's. Um, yeah. They've got a culinary arts degree. And, really? Yep. And the food we serve is way more than most people expect. You will get a glimpse of that when you come for the leadership conference. Uh, I'm excited. And, and what's the leadership uh, program? Because I just signed up for it, but it's the first yep. one that you launched. I went on your website. Um, again, Matt Laidlaw. I saw him make a post. He came and I was like, that's cool. And he loved it so much. And then I went on your site and I saw that you guys would be launching a leadership program. There's yep. some information, but if you could break it down... And then within a week later, you guys are saying it's it's ready. We're going to launch it on the 29th. 29th of January, yeah. Um, well, so the, the, the topic of this first leadership conference is pivoting. And pivot, in this, especially in this world, means so many of us have had our businesses impacted by the COVID. And uh, it has actually knocked a lot of companies to their knees and others have prospered. Oddly enough, and uh, fortunately, we're one one of the ones that prospered. But the whole, I guess, the strain of this past year made me realize that we have all of our eggs in one basket. You know, everything is tied up in motorcycles. And when you really look at our business model, we're not busy a lot. We uh, we our our training programs run every couple of weeks. Um, and th- those are full, but if you look at a month and we're actually only operating 10 days out of the month, there's 20 days left to do something else. And I've always had a fascination with the business process. When people ask me, what do I like the most about what we do other than riding motorcycles? I say, I like the business angle of it. I like building new relationships. I like looking for other ways to, to grow rawhide right. and I just had enough time during this uh, last few months to think about other things we could do. And demographically, the people that are interested in adventure riding are a fascinating bunch of people. And individuals, yeah. And they're all successful. I mean, you yeah. don't you don't drop twenty five thousand bucks on a on a toy like an adventure bike unless you have the means. It's not it's not like a, a Honda one twenty five to a college kid. You know, right. It's a significant amount of money. A lot of the younger people are at a different point in their life. They're not spending that kind of money on one toy. They they need to take the pool of money they have, their discretionary income, and they're spreading it over a broader base. Right. So they, maybe they, they like to surf and they like to skateboard and they like to mountain bike and whatever else. They've got to spread their money a little wider. Typically, men, professionals, uh, target 
one thing. This is what I'm going to do now and maybe for the next five years. And they, they're, they're a little more focused. Anyway, bottom line, there's a huge amount of talent, a business acumen in the adventure community. And I just, just had the idea, you know. Most of us are looking for a business reason to uh, go have some fun. And if we can really wrap, right. if we can wrap fun up in a tax-deductible package and actually then get some good takeaways for our business, what do you want to do? Go to a hotel, listen to, at a conference, and then go play golf? How about have a business conference and go ride adventure motorcycles and it have is, some it's fun? It's brilliant. And so... It's brilliant. I put the word out to our customer base. We were thinking about something like this, you know, and, and uh, you know, asking for reactions from the community. And I, I got a pretty overwhelming response. That sounds awesome. Do it and we will come. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that was the kind of the, the, the backstory of it. I no, just, it, 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 it makes perfect sense. And you're right. The, the BMW Adventure Rider is very unique and is a professional in something and most of the times has money. You know, th probably 30% of our clients own their own companies. Yeah, um, that's huge. 40% more are at a senior level in management or, or a, a directorship or something. And a lot of other guys dream of starting businesses. Right. So even if they may be just an hourly worker or, or just have a career of some sorts that's blue collar, a lot of them are dreaming about starting their own gig, whatever it may be. So this first leadership conference that we've got everything from uh, a hamburger franchise owner to a navy seal who wants to start his own contracting business to uh, a couple of chairmen of decent sized companies and and then there's some folks from the motorcycle industry coming too yeah. and, so. and a podcast host <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome no i i can't i can't wait i'm looking for both those experiences one the writing and the learning and, you know, I, I saw the schedule. It's amazing. And two, meeting, networking. And yep. that's kind of the point why you did that is networking. And it's nice. It's nice to meet people in, in the adventure industry, you know, like BMW motorcycles, because you you group up afterwards and you do rides together. You, you can make plans. You oh, can yeah. go, hey, let's go to Northern California. And many people that I know locally stay at a local level you know they can't plan the uh, you know two-day trip uh, because of whatever the case is yeah. so this gives you it's just your networking and it's it's a great opportunity for for anybody that's a professional and rides gs's and or whatever adventure yeah, bike we we call it the tribe the tribe it's tribal man very tribal how how are the um so all the training we're in cat we're in castake right now right all the training is here on the property Right. Yep. What does it consist of? Gosh. Well, so adventure bike training. Let's give it some backstory and some perspective. So, and this hasn't been around. I mean, what forty years? Uh, this is the fortieth anniversary. This year is the fortieth anniversary of For the BMW. BMW GS. Yeah, yeah, I just saw the yellow and black one. Yep. <laughs> um, so forty years ago, uh, the Germans have wanderlust. Okay, if you you put this in uh, historical perspective. You can't really go dirt bike riding in Germany. Um, it, it's a closed country. It's, the land is either owned by the government or it's privately owned, and there's simply no access there. They, they have a couple of playgrounds uh, that you can ride a, a motorcycle around in a closed, uh, a closed circuit. But the Germans like to travel, and they like to travel globally. And uh, you know, the joke is every, every year, the month of August, the Germans shut down and go play. 
Right. And uh, so they designed the GS to be a global travel machine, tying that to the fact that in, uh, globally, the infrastructure of the world, something like 90% of it is dirt roads or trails or less. So you go to North Africa, you go to Eastern Europe, uh, Russia and the stands, the roads are all dirt. So uh, they, they designed the GS to be a, 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 a multi-terrain vehicle. In fact, that's what GS stands for. Gelanda Strasse. Gelanda means cross country, if you will. Strasse means street. So uh, interesting. I, I did not know. Yeah. So anyway, to, uh, to actually, you did post a video, I think, on Instagram. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. talking about the 40th anniversary. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so tying that all to training, the rest of the story is that really two out of ten people that buy these things actually want to go do serious okay. hardcore backcountry travel. Most folks buy it. It's a commuter bike. It's a cool bike. It's powerful and it's agile. And, you know, it, it has all of the features one is looking for in a good motorcycle. But it's also got this capability that two out of 10 people choose to exploit. So what we do is get people really enthusiastic about that whole idea of explore, exploration. Um, our training programs uh, take place in one of our three facilities. Um, and they're designed to take people who are comfortable as a street rider. We don't, we really don't train brand new riders. But once you got your license, once you've decided you want to migrate from the street uh, into uh, more, the, more of a backcountry setting, then maybe you'll come see us. And the curriculum that we walk you through is a stepping stone curriculum that just begins with the fundamentals of friction zone on the clutch, friction zone on brakes, because if you think about it, as a street rider, how many times do you use the clutch? You get on the freeway. Well, it's tricky on the GS. Now you don't even have to, kind of. Oh, yeah, right. right, right <laughs> so I'm like, right. very little. Yeah. Uh, first gear, and after that, you don't have to worry about it. But Yeah. You let the clutch out at a stop sign. You get moving. You yeah. shift gears five times. You get on the freeway or whatever, and it may be two hours before you right. shift Push gears it again. again. Yep. In the backcountry, you're constantly on it, on it, yeah. in and out of the friction zone, constantly shifting gears, you know, um, and most folks are just not used to that. So we work on friction, friction control stuff. And then we work on balancing exercises because there's an awful lot of riders who use momentum to mask uh, poor balancing skills, right? Because slow speed stuff is where it's at in the backcountry. Um, and from there, we go into turning, you know, uh, hill climbing, accelerating on the dirt, skidding on the dirt, all the fundamentals that you will eventually use if mm. you choose to go exploring in the backcountry. So. And then um, can, can you tell me like uh, two stories like, uh, you know, somebody came in, worst writer in the world, but came out of it, you know, a funny story. And then. Uh, something inspirational, some you know, somebody that went in your class and when they left here, they never went home again because they traveled the whole world. Like, is there any of those stories? Oh, more than you can, uh, more, more um, than you can count. Um, um, ones that stuck out. Yeah. Okay. So, um, oh, quite a few years ago, there was a fellow named Charlie. Charlie was a Porsche mechanic from San Diego and he had just bought an 1150 GS. So that tells you how long ago this was. Right. Uh, but he signed up for one of our training courses. And uh, he went through it and he had a good time. And as he left, he came up to me, he says, Jim, I want to tell you something. He said, when I came in here, I felt like I was riding an elephant. And he said, 
I'm going home riding a mouse. How funny. I'm like, okay, that sort of puts things in perspective yeah. because a lot of folks are intimidated by the size and the mass 100%. of these bikes. And once you realize how manageable they really are and you, uh, you have the opportunity to watch others, because that's just as important as doing it yourself. Because when you watch somebody take a bike and put it through its paces in, in doing what we do, you realize visually that it's doable. Now it's up to you. Right. And so the combination of seeing others and doing it yourself is what really is so powerful with that. Um, and for inspiration, I'll tell you the story of the oldest guy that's ever come through Rawhide. And it's a story I tell frequently because there's a lot of gray hair in the adventure riding community. And a lot of guys will come in there like, well, Jim, I'm 66 years old. I don't know how much longer I can be doing this, but I figured I'd give it a try. And then I say, do you know what the, the oldest guy that came through here is? And they'll go, no. I said he was 80, 87 years old. Wow. And he bought... On his, on his <clears> own bike? On his own bike. Jeez. He had bought an old BMW R80. Which how big is, was he? He wasn't huge, but he had the right name for, for his goal. His name was Thor. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thor was from Norway, <clears throat> an American Norwegian. And he had bought an old R80GS because he knew how to work on carburetors. And his goal was to ride around the world at 87 years old. So he came, he took our class, and he departed on his trip. And he headed for New York, shipped his bike to the UK, Rode around England, shipped it to Europe, rode all the way that across is. Europe, all the way across Russia and China uh, to uh, Vladivostok, shipped the bike to Anchorage, Alaska, and rode the Alcan Highway back to L.A. He got home. He was 88 and a half. Wow. That's amazing. So uh, that's inspiration. That's, you know? yeah. You, you don't have to give it up when you, when you retire. For, yeah. some, for some folks, that's, that's a new beginning. Right. Yeah. There, there's people think that when you get a certain age, you got to stop doing this, you got to stop doing that, but... Today you can, you know, yeah, do what yeah. you should. You should do your passion. Yep, agreed. You should do your passion. So, and I got a, a hundred different inspirational stories. You know, everybody's got something, but uh, a lot of times, you know, I've heard the following a ton of times. Um, usually, a, a, a mid a midlife executive guy's been really slaving away for the last fifteen years. Maybe the kids have just kind of moved out of the house, and he's starting to get his life back. Come up to me, and goes, Jim. I have had more fun in the last two days than I've had in the last 20 years. Wow. And, uh, you know, I hear that pretty frequently, actually. And, and, and I think, you know, I, I see people that purchase these bikes but don't do much, you know, yeah. because they don't know where to go. They don't know, they don't know the people. They don't know the, sometimes that your schools exist or schools like this exist. Yeah. And people need that, that little push you know, of, of seeing what's out there before they actually come in and start doing it, Yep. you know? So, and this is another reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast. I want this message to be, I want people to hear this from all over. You, well, you get people from around the world now, right? Yeah, we do. I mean, we're still pretty much a, a U.S. company. Um, about 40% of our business comes from the West coast of the U.S. Um, the other 60% from, you know, Colorado East, uh, we probably less than 5% of our business comes from abroad. We have a, we have a pretty solid contingent of people that come from Russia, believe it or not. Um, there's a backstory there. We get a few Australians and a smattering of Europeans, but, uh, 
and that's it. It's mostly U.S. business. What What's the backstory on uh, the, on Russia? On Russia, um, the girl that does our website, her cousin is the president of the BMW Club of Russia. Oh, so okay, <laughs> yeah. She shared our website with her cousin, who then shared it around her Russian GS. Uh, aficionados and uh, so we get a pretty steady flow of russians through here but it you know what what does that mean it means two or three a quarter right you know it's not it's not big business but uh but we have a nice connection of uh folks in russia that if we ever get over there we can we can say hey vladimir where should we go yeah, where should we go do you um when um the people that register for the class have, have you seen it change you know, like I'm, I'm sure you get random people. You get business professionals, all races, all females. But has it? Have you seen like a trend changing? People younger, older, hmm. you know, a little bit of everything. It's just, yeah. or it's just random. Well, the growth curve is with women. Um, you know, two years ago, women represented uh, somewhere nine to ten percent of the motorcycle buying market. Now they're up to seventeen percent. So. You know, 1.7 out of 10 attendees are female these days. Um, and we're seeing a slight skew towards younger riders. Yeah. Um, you know, traditionally it's been 50, 50 plus. And now got a lot of 40-year-olds, you know, and a few younger. Uh, we see a lot of father-sons. You know, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's super cool. I mean, cool. it's all cool. But uh, a slight trend in younger riders and an uptick in female riders. Those are the two identifiable trends. And then the uh, are most classes weekend. It's it's you yeah, check typically. in. Yeah, yeah. So what what what's the check in date and how what's the process? So of all of our training programs are Friday through Sunday. Okay. Um, Friday afternoon check in. Um, anytime after five o'clock, unless. Uh, we have a couple of clinics, uh, upsells, I guess you'd call them, uh, that start earlier in the day. So if you're going to take one of those, you come in earlier. But otherwise, um, arrive at 5. Uh, we do a happy hour, a briefing, a nice dinner, get everybody settled in for the night. And then it's training all day Saturday and Sunday. They can go home Sunday night uh, if they want to, but lodging and meals are included for Sunday night as part of our package. And then we offer, with every class, a two-day follow-up ride. Or if they want to go practice everything they've just learned, they, oh. can, they can do a 400-mile ride out through the Mojave Desert and uh, put all those skills to use and just have some fun. And, That's you know, awesome. Yeah. I, I didn't know what you say. Yeah, I didn't know that part. Yeah. Um, and then what about equipment? What should people bring? What, what, how, do you, how do people prepare? You rent the bikes out. You we do bring rent your the bikes. Own bike. uh, you can bring your own bike if you want. And it pretty much can be anything. We had a guy on a 1957 Harley Chopper show up and actually. Wow. And he did the course? He did, he did part of the course. He rented a bike, but he also wanted to see how his, how his Harley would handle things. Poor Harley. Um, yeah. <laughs> he actually was a hell of a good rider. Danger Dan, they call him. My that's God. His, uh, that's his Instagram moniker. Um, but uh, yeah, bring your own bike as long as it's suitable for the ADV space. Uh, you can take the class on that. We rent the entire range of new BMWs, everything from the 310 to the 1250 GSA. Um, and, uh, you know, that's it. I think I forgot the rest of the question I was supposed uh, to answer. No, no, no. Like what, what kind of gear should people bring? Gear, gear, gear. gear. Um, yep. Do people bring their own gear? Do you rent out gear, safety, motorcycle? Should they bring... A, like tire required, like if I'm, I'm like right now, I was just riding over here. Yep. And I got a hundred percent street tire. 
Yep. And I'm going to change my tires soon because it's about that time. But do you require, you know, a no. 70, 20? No, it doesn't matter. If we typically say that whatever your bike came with would be adequate for our level one class. Mm. So if you still have the stock tires that came with your bike, then you'd be fine to, right. to do it with those. Uh, if you're going to take our level two or above, then we require knobbies or at least a 50-50 tire. Um, as far as gear, we're pretty... I, I see it's a little cold. I feel it's a little cold <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, it's a little chilly So here. bring some sweaters, bring some beanies. Yeah, yeah. Bring the bring comfort gear, but also for riding. Um, we require you know decent adventure motocross-style boots where they come up to just below your knee. 90% of the injuries that we get in this space are lower extremity. So ankle, foot, uh, tib, fib, uh, those are, that's what tends to snap if you don't have good boots. Um, we require or at least strongly recommend a riding suit that has padded shoulders and elbows as well as hips and knees. Um, and then uh, we recommend an enduro style helmet that has a visor uh, as well as a sun, a sun visor that comes right. off the front. Uh, but any, any helmet that's DOT approved is fine. Right. Um, so that's it, as well as a good pair of gloves. Okay. Okay, I think I got most of that. Yeah. Um, and then um, that's for the first one. And then the leader, this is no different from the leadership other than the bonus of, you know, networking and meeting professionals, um, which you have a guest also on that weekend, right? We do. We got a, a, a fabulous guest, but I think to tie this together, there's no training on the leadership weekend. Okay. So it's, uh, we're going to talk business in the morning and we're just going to go for a couple rides in the afternoon, Perfect. but you still, yeah. you still need the gear. Right. Um, and as far as our guest, yeah, we have a dear friend of mine who is, or was, he's recently retired as the chairman of the Simplot company. Simplot is one of the, if not the largest privately owned corporation in America. Uh, most wow. people, most people don't recognize Simplot, but they would recognize McDonald's French fries. Right. And so the Simplot, the J.R. Simplot company, uh, is basically potato farmers. Uh, oh, so they're, they're dedicated to, okay. They sell billions of dollars worth of potatoes to McDonald's every year, along with other agricultural products. All around the world. All around the world. They've got farms in like 40 different countries. So he's doing okay. Bill's doing, Bill's, <laughs> Bill's doing fine. But Bill is also an avid adventure writer. Bill and, Nor, right? No, no. David Nor David is the moderator of the, of the leadership conference. Bill <laughs> Whitaker, sorry, Bill That's Whitaker okay. is... Uh, the chairman of the Simplot Corp, but he's also on the board of the BDR, the Backcountry Discovery Route Program. And that's really What's what... What's that? So, um, Touratech. Do you know Touratech? Yeah, of course. Okay, so Touratech, uh, the owner of Touratech, started uh, the BDR Foundation. Um, I don't think I'm actually calling it right, but fundamentally it's a uh, 501c3. It's a, uh, a charitable organization that is taking it upon themselves to find backcountry routes through um, state after state after state. And it was modeled after Oregon's backcountry discovery route. The state of Oregon, in an attempt to increase tourism, created the what they called their official backcountry discovery route, which if you have a Jeep or a motorcycle or whatever, um, you pick up a state map and it guides you on a cool, scenic, historic dirt road, trip from border to border in the state of Oregon. Wow. 
So Touratech started several years ago, and they did their own version for Washington, and they call it the Wobder, the Washington Backcountry Discovery Route. And uh, it's a dirt road that goes from one end of the state to the other. And then they sort of started a company with that. And uh, uh, then they, they've now got the Idaho BDR, the California BDR, the Nevada BDR, the Utah, That's the Colorado, awesome. the Mid-Atlantic. And it's a free resource to the public. So wow. How, yeah. You go on the BDR website. And uh, just find all these roads? You, well, no. You download the, the full set of GPS tracks to... Uh, to take you across whatever state it is that you want to travel. And uh, we support them uh, quite well. We give away free passes to our programs for them to auction annually in their fundraiser. And Bill Whitaker sits on the board there. He's an advisor to them. So Bill will be doing a fireside chat uh, during our leadership conference. He's open for questions on any topic from how did Simplot Corporation become what they are to uh, how did he end up in the BDR. So Bill's a great guy with a huge amount of world knowledge from traveling on motorcycles. So we're going to have some fun with that. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. What else? What else can we cover on um, the other programs that you offer? So you do, there's leadership, there's training, there's the second level and third level, like advance. Yep. yep. So um, I can, we've got, uh, we've got four levels of training. Okay. So first is the introductory training, and that is designed to take a street rider and just make them comfortable riding dirt roads. Then we run a, a class called Intro Plus because we find that an awful lot of folks come here, they take a class, then they go home, and life gets in the way. Right. And then six or eight months later, they get back on the bike and they get back on that dirt road, and they're like, oh, I'm uncomfortable again. So Intro Plus is a refresher plus some new skills. Um, it's not terribly hardcore, but we give them some new things because, you know, nobody wants to take the same thing over again. So it's a two-day class. The, the first day is refresher, and the second day we add some more, more complicated hill climbing, faster turning, stuff like this. Uh, then we have uh, the following program to that is what we call the next step. Some people call it a giant leap uh, because we have a lot of crazy stuff that we have them do um, and probably... Not more than 20 or 25% of the people who get into this want to really push the envelope on an adventure bike, uh, but we do in that class. If you want to... What, what, what is that? What is like the craziest thing you guys um, do? Like steep hills, steep drops? Uh, uh, we have... Yeah, we have... Go like rivers or water? Or... Uh, we don't have... California is a desert, so I don't have yeah. much running water here on this property, but we do have really steep hills. Um, we have created some obstacles that represent things you would find in the real world. Let's say um, you're out there traveling somewhere and you uh, come, a come across a place where the road has been eroded by a flash flood and you got to get up a very steep embankment, like, like nearly vertical. Uh, we have two uh, things we call the wall of death and we've made them nearly vertical out of railroad ties. So it's a stacked uh, approach and the only way to get up it is with some momentum and really good body position. But just imagine trying to climb almost vertically on a 600 yeah, pound bike. Yeah, that sounds okay. terrifying. Um, we have another thing uh, in our hills course. Um, we have this bowl. One end of the bowl is really shallow. The walls are not too steep. The other side, it's very steep, slippery slope. Um, and about at the halfway point, we have uh, constructed a ledge. And it's a downhill maneuver where you're coming down this hill and suddenly 
There's nothing beneath you. You got about a four foot drop. Jeez. But since you're going downhill anyway, you don't really feel it. It's, it's in your head. You just have to know what to do and trust that it's going to work out right. And a little momentum and keep a straight line. And you sail over this void beneath you, but you don't really even feel it. But when you look at it, it's terrifying. And when you're starting to go down, well, when you I, know, what, what would be the, the, the normal mistake people do? Grab their brakes, no? Yeah, they grab their brake or... You're not supposed to grab your brakes. Not, not if you're going to have to clear something. Right. Like a lot of times out there in the real world, you'll, come, you'll be on a dirt road somewhere and there's been water flow down the road and it has exposed a series of rocks maybe descending. And you've got to, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to case your engine, right? Right. If you go slow, your front wheel drops over it, your skid plate slams on the rock. So if you can pick a good line, carry a little momentum and you just sort of skip off the tops of the rocks as you go down this waterfall, let's say. Um, but typically there'd be no water in it. It's just where there has been water. Right. But, um, yeah, just stuff like that. You know, it's the real world. Yeah, There's real world exercises. Crazy shit you run across out there, and you either have to know how to do it or turn around. Right. It's that simple. Has that, has you have you had people take the class not be able to do something? They sure. just like fuck it. I can't. That's too much. Yeah. You know, um, I in 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 most of our classes, I'll tell people that's that, that judgment is just as important a skill as actually knowing how to ride the bike through something. So if you see something and you just know in your gut you're not going to make it, then turn around. Don't be stupid and try to do something you can't. Yeah. Just turn around. That's, you know. There, there's no push in like, you can do it, you can do it. No, just, no, 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 no. This, this, you have to be completely we ask confident people, We ask people to tune in really well to what their instinct is telling them. And if their instinct is telling them no, then don't do it. Yeah, okay, that's when you're going to stick get to their their boundaries. Yep. Don't yep. be boundless. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things yeah. we really try to. Everybody's got something. Whether it's a fear of heights, you know, people have got the weirdest phobias, and I mean, it's it's what they have, you know. But honor what you know you can't do, and just learn how to work with it. Yeah, it was a workaround. Yeah, that's good advice. I'm used to like, just do it. You got to try it. You got to do this, and then once yeah. they do it, they kind of like. I did it unless if it turns bad. Like I had I had this one rand again random thing. I had this one um this was when I was with Harley at Van Nuys and there was this woman rider and she was riding a sportster and she loved the street glides. She's like, "Oh, I want to get a bagger. I want to get a bagger." And, she, and you know, I was telling her, you know, the size favors you. People don't realize the heavier and bigger the bike is, the better it controls and handles. Mm -hmm. Even when you're on the highway, it prevents oh, yeah. all that wind blowing, buffeting and all, you know, that, all that yeah. buffeting. It, it's, it stays in its place. And for some reason, the bigger bikes are, are more, you know, bottom heavy and better balanced. Yep. Like I can do the DMV test with the street glide. I can't do it with the Sportster. It's just, right. it's just wobbly. Anyways, she wanted it, but it was a mind, you know, it was a mind game where she was like, no, it's too big for me. It's too big for me. It's too big for me. Anyway, she came back a week later. And she's like, you know what? I think I'll try it. And anyways, unfortunately, she fell right in the alley. And it wasn't the greatest story. But other times, you know, other people try it and they realize it's it's a lot simpler mm -hmm. than what it is. It's just grabbing it and just riding it. But you got to have that confidence. But sometimes people need the boost of that confidence, too. Well, they do. But there's also... But when there's, you're in business, I guess you've got to watch out. There's a fine line between pushing people and encouraging. 
Ah. Push versus mm. encourage. And so we encourage people to try anything that they feel like, you know, somebody else just demoed it. It's very, it's clearly something that can be Doable, done. Yeah. Um, the question is, have you got it? And 90, 90 plus percent of the time, everybody does everything that they're supposed to when they come to class. And, and there are, however, there are people out there that defeat themselves. They keep trying, but they know, they know before they ever get started, they're going to fail. Yeah. And we can see them coming too. You know? Yeah. It's a sort of a funny story, but I can earmark them almost every time. When they walk in the door, the first thing they'll walk right up to me and go, How many times am I going to drop my bike this weekend? They're, they're thinking about it, they're worried about it. The minute they get here, it's their first question. Yeah. And uh, usually, if anybody's going to bow out or, or not complete the class, it's that guy. And, and then do you guys do like certificates? And we do. We have a lovely diploma that you get nice. for, for, uh, for completing the class. That's awesome. And, uh, and then do you guys have package deals? Like if you want to take two, three, four, five classes? No, we don't. No, it's just okay. everything is on an individual basis. Yeah. Um, so no no package deals, no subscriptions. No subscriptions. Yeah. Not yet. Who well, knows? You know, it's got me thinking when you were telling me about that. But we'll no, like, like, like I said, you know, I'll speak clearly about it. You know, Eagle Riders, you know, Chris McIntyre, they launched that, I want to say, in 2016. And it's just they had no local business. There was nothing going on. So they launched it. And and this was for people that didn't have the money to buy a motorcycle or didn't want to commit to a motorcycle. So they started like $29. Now I think there's like five different plans. Now fast forward to 2020, you have COVID-19 businesses doing bad you know you're when you're a business that has you know 90 percent you know tourism coming in that's where you make your money from that goes to a full stop they're not making any more money and then all of a sudden they there's money in the account to pay bills and it's like where is this money coming from it's all these subscriptions you know you get you get crazy you get you know whatever a hundred 500 people and you promote this $29 and at first they started off with just the the headquarters or just the corporate stores now they've been able I I don't know exactly how they did that but now they've been able to work with the franchisees you know the franchise owners and now you can pick up a bike almost anywhere so now I can use my membership and I can fly to Florida pick up a bike for two three days you know return it go to New York and no it's available. Of, no money out of pocket. You've already paid. Right. And then there's a lot of people. There's not a lot of people, but there's people like me that just keep it because it's so cheap, you know, and by keeping it, you know, you, you just keep accumulating points. And like I said, I'm at 40 something and, and, and a part of me wants to cut it off, but then it's like, it's 29 bucks, you know, that's Netflix. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, anything. Yeah. That's any subscription going out there. So that, that, that subscription in any business, really, like these Dollar Shave Club companies, these yeah. it, it works. Yeah. It works because most most people are not going to cancel it, and when they use it, they're going to be very happy they used it. You know, so maybe <laughs> got the uh, gears turning, man. Yeah, maybe at a local level, there's there's a way or a benefit, you know, where you could say, hey, like for example, Eagle Riders now now they have they upped it. Now they have like three or four plans. And, and again, don't quote me on prices, but the first one's like 29, one credit. Mm-hmm. The second one is like 50 bucks or 70 bucks. And you get like six credits or seven credits a month. And then they have another package that's like 199. And that one includes 12 or 14 credits. Each credit is one day's rental. 
So they even upgraded that system. So originally one credit is one rental day. But now depending on the bike, if it's a really nice bike, you need two credits for that bike mm -hmm. per day. You're still saving money because on average, the nicer bikes you spend whatever, 120 to $200. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so now it's going to cost you two points. Okay. Well, I paid $29 for my points. I have a bunch of them. Yeah. Wow. So no, it's, it's, it, it, it works. Here's the other thing they, they took into consideration because again, I, I was kind of helping them out and understanding it uh, and, and launching it. But they figured, I think that the calculation was a bike sits there 187 days of the year, yep. you know, just sits there. Yeah. So if you start the subscription, you know, you can recover some of that money yeah. when it happens. Yeah. And I think they were a little bit more, I don't know how they dealt with when the season came in, you know, because if somebody wants to use their credit, but again, again that's terms and conditions and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Where mm -hmm. if you do something like that, you know, let's just say it's X dollar amount. Okay. If you have people that are just paying subscription and they could just join into a class kind of whenever they want, yeah, yeah they'll probably do it two, three times. You'll get a guy that'll try to join every single class every month. Most people will probably make only one or two, you know, and if you're charging, let's say 50 bucks, I mean, that's only 600, but the idea is to get a book. You'll get more people. You'll get more people. Yeah, I'll think about it. Yeah. Anyways, I'm not, again, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. trying to pitch you on that. Yeah. What, what's, what's the future for you guys? What, where are you guys heading towards? What's the goal, or are you completely content and? No, we've got, uh, we've, we've got plans. We don't ever, we don't ever stop. Um, well, two years ago, we purchased a uh, hundred acres out in the Mojave Desert, and we oh. built an all new facility out there called Zakar, and uh, we will be pretty much 100% finished with it in about 30 days. Nice. Um, we had a soft opening for it last year. We we had what we called the grand opening this year, we, even though uh, we, we, we host an annual event called Adventure Days. Okay. And uh, so we had Adventure Days out at Zakar and uh, had about 500 people show up for that. And uh, But we still had some work to do, but now we're done. And so our goal with that facility is corporate events within the power sports industry. Wow, so, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, you know, Pirelli brings out a new tire, and they want to get the journalists together, and they want to put that tire on bikes, and they want to let the journalists evaluate the tire. Zach Carr is the place. Boom. Uh, we're also building a four-wheel drive training course there. Um, want to get into the four-wheel aspect of backcountry travel. Um, that's at Zakar. We, four years, no, sorry, six years ago, we bought uh, 80 acres up in Colorado, and we built another training center up there. Oh, my God. For, uh, what are you going to do, clone yourself? Put yourself in different locations? Uh, there's, enough, <laughs> there's enough of me to go around. Yeah. But um, this year, this summer, uh, we're building a beautiful new lodge, um, an 8,000-square-foot man cave, if you will. Okay. Um, big, massive timber construction and huge fireplace and a big bar. And That's awesome. That's that, exciting. Uh, Yep, so we've got that going on. I don't have plans to build any more facilities. Our our idea as I as we started this this conversation, you know, the business of business is what I like to do. And uh, I've got my sights set on Winnebago because Winnebago brought out a four-wheel drive motorhome this year. Oh, nice. Four-wheel drive? A four-wheel drive motorhome. Like that, like that Earth Rover, whatever no, they call no, it? No, 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 no. It's based on the Mercedes Sprinter chassis. Nice. But they've jacked it up, and they put big tires on Better it. Better suspension and, and everything. Yeah, and they call it the Revel, and it's $200,000. Wow. 
for wow. for a little four wheel drive motorhome. Uh, and they, and it, but it, but it's fully fixed it up inside. Yeah, it's yeah, got it's, the bed that's really. It's got a bed that retracts uh, and presses up against the ceiling during bad. the day, so you got some room. And then the bed drops down at night. It's got a stove and a heater and an air conditioner and everything. I mean, it's really cool. MSRP two hundred, huh? Two hundred K. It's not bad. No, it's not bad. But that's a lot of money. Well, you for th- a toy. Exactly. But some yeah. people buy it and build it out, and that that comes out. Some of those builds are seventy five to you know ninety thousand. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Plus but, the price of the van. And, but the point is. Yeah. That that guy who buys that vehicle is the same guy who buys an adventure bike, yeah. and and been... one out one out of ten are actually going to go use it in the way it was. That's my prediction, and so we want to get a corporate relationship going with Winnebago, run a training program for them at our Zakhar location, along with Polaris and a handful of other companies that we kind of have on our radar screen. So we are just a hundred percent committed to backcountry travel sports. And uh, got lots of plans. I, I'm I'm very excited. As you were saying all this, I was just thinking about that jealousy you had when you were in Italy, and you were like, <laughs> "This guy's living the dream." I, I gotta feel that a little bit right now. <laughs> I'm just like, "Wow, that's." But you, but you you turned it around. I mean, that's amazing. You you went from you know doing medical cells, medical equipment cells, and you saw that and you changed it. How long did that take you to change? From when you saw that moment, you're like, fuck, this guy's life is good. He's riding motorcycles, and he's getting paid for it. Well, the, huh? so there was, a big, there was a big gap of years in there. So that was in the late 90s. And we didn't start Rawhide till 2001. So years. Yep. But, it, it, but it, you planted the seed. Oh, and- yeah, the seed was planted. And we actually started Rawhide as a Jeep uh, backcountry travel company. And uh, I spent the entire summer of 2001 in Europe promoting the concept of what I wanted to do. I had bought a dozen Jeeps and I had some fancy trucks and trailers that were going to provide hospitality in the backcountry. And I flew home from that little uh, sales trip with a briefcase full of contracts on September 9th of 2001. And two days later with the whole World Trade Center fiasco, that all flushed right down the toilet. So... At that point, we reinvented ourselves and, and headed into the motorcycle industry. And now, at this point, haven't looked back. So That's uh, awesome. But now here we are, 19 years later, kind of going back to our roots. Like I said, I want to talk to Winnebago. And we're, you know, the four-wheel drive overland travel market is exploding. Right. And uh, we want to be a part of that. So, right. And, and, yeah. I, and I think with the whole COVID thing, people are kind of like looking for escape vehicles oh. and it's it's becoming. Have you seen the stats on? I have on, not. Oh, so check Sharon, this out. Sharon, tell me, tell me, tell well, me. Well, so in the state of California, uh, you can't go to a motorcycle dealership and buy a motorcycle 125 cc's or less. They're all sold out. Really? Yep. Travel trailers. The month of May in the RV industry was the best year in the industry's history in the United States, uh, because wow. just like you said, people want to escape. They want to get out. They, everybody felt safer in the outdoors than you know, locked up in it, in an trap. urban setting, yeah. right? So, outdoor sports, mountain bikes, canoeing, boating, RVs, dune buggies, uh, side by sides, motorcycles, all of those industries blossomed in the last six months. Um, this is close to the best year we've ever had. Uh, financially, 
Yeah. Well, it was a lot of struggle and an awful lot of adaptation. Just people reaching out. I got to learn how to ride a motorcycle. No, they want to just want to get the hell out of the house. Yeah. Ah. They just want to get the hell out of the house. So uh, they've been thinking about Rawhide. They haven't been able to go out to eat. They haven't been able to go to a concert. So they've got extra money in their pockets. And yeah. they came to see us. That's awesome. That's awesome. But all these businesses are booming. You're right. You know, I mean, some, as we talked about earlier in, in the show or in the talk, um, some businesses have been been horribly damaged. You yeah. know, Unfortunately. You know, service businesses and things like that, restaurants and bars. And, you know, we hear that story every some night on retail, the evening. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but the outdoor sports businesses have all done well this year as well as like online and podcasting and you know stuff like this anything in the digital world yeah and amazon amazon (laughs) fuck amazon huh that guy what what kind of marketing do do you do because you know i heard you through matt laylaw matt laylaw posted and Uh, and he's he's very active on social media Um, how do how do usually people find you guys is it more referral is it more you guys go to events we, we have a, a company called Acorn Woods that is a PR firm that okay. manages all of our social media. They write our newsletter, or at least they help with our newsletter, um, and they do all of our outreach. Um, and they've got sophisticated tools that help us retarget. You know, somebody clicks in. You know how you go on Google and you look at something and suddenly it starts following you right. around the Internet? We, we do that. Nice. Um, we do that. But... Um, our business probably comes from three different ways. We have uh, a newsletter that has got like 50,000 people on it. So when we promote new new tours and things, we get a lot of response from our newsletter. We also have really great word of mouth people. People just like us and like, they yeah. like what we do. And so we get a lot of good word of mouth, just like you, from right. Matt Laidlaw. And then we get uh, a reasonable response from Facebook and Instagram. And believe it or not, one of the best tools we have is Google AdWords. Yeah, you know we buy about twenty-five different AdWords every month, and we have been for the last couple of years. And, and every, that, every month we get twelve or thirteen people signing up just because of those AdWords. Yeah, and then um, I guess my last question: What do you think of Harley Davidson's <laughs> <laughs> new adventure bike? <laughs> just thoughts. You know what? So my honest opinion is, I'm so glad that they're getting into the space because there are a lot of people out there as we, as we mentioned earlier, again, in our, in our conversation, um, Harley Davidson is losing their rider base to the adventure space in droves. Um, but there's an awful lot of those folks that are not going to change brands. They've put a tattoo on their arm and they're not going to buy a German motorcycle because they've got the tattoo. So I think that there's a lot of, sales waiting for harley davidson among their loyalists and uh it remains to be seen what the product is when it actually hits the showroom floor but i'm, I'm glad to see them yeah and, you know all, all the specs look good on the bike and uh they're going to breathe one more big blast of energy into the adventure touring space so uh, other than having seen the bike at the ims show in a glass box yeah. Where we couldn't touch it, I can't say that much about it. I, I, but it looks cool. It's kind of got. Yeah, that, it looks. It looks. I like how they went a little different and unique. Yeah, it's got the whole Harley fairing in the front end. It yeah. looks very Harley. But then, uh, you know, and the V twin is a great motor. I'm sure that 
I have no idea what what the output is or any of that, but I'm, I'm glad to see them. I'm, I'm, I welcome them. I think that they'll be a good contribution to you, the space. You think maybe in the next few years we'll see a few here? Who knows? Who knows, right? Anybody who buys one is welcome to come here. That's for sure. We're not snobs. We're not brand snobs. Anybody on any bike is welcome at Rawhide. So I hope we get some Harley guys in here. I'm sure you will. After this, I'm sure you will. What's the website? What's your Instagram? Where can people find you? Um, Facebook and Instagram both. Just look for Rawhide, spelled with a Y, R-A-W-H-Y-D-E. Uh, we're all over both uh, uh, both medias. Uh, website is triple uh, dub rawhide again spelled with a y hyphen offroad.com just all squished together rawhide hyphen offroad.com perfect i'm very excited i think um i'm excited for my my class on the 29th yeah man we might record again then and then we'll do one afterwards cool well i'm super excited about the leadership thing uh, that's uh, uh that's gonna be fun yeah so thanks for uh for setting this up it was a pleasure to be with you thank you for having me